Welcome to episode 107 of Breakout Culture. I'm Charlotte Metcalf and I am the Associate Editor at Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Ed Vasey. Today we're going to be talking about the great David Hockney and the new exhibition of his work, Bigger and Closer, Not Smaller and Further Away. It's the first show to be staged at Lightroom, a brand new vast space in London's King's Cross that uses a revolutionary technology to create something entirely different. This project is a collaboration between the Bridge Theatre, the two Nicks, Nick Heitner and Nick Starr, an award-winning design studio and production company, 59 Productions. They've worked together over the last four years to create this and put this show on. Now, I've seen the show and can testify that it's absolutely wonderful. To call this show immersive is an understatement. I was gloriously lost in the world of Hockney's imagination for over an hour. The word immersive does suggest the show might be something similar to the Van Gogh show that was featured on the podcast a couple of years back. But this is something entirely different and is also the first show of its kind for a living artist. I urge all our listeners to go and see it as it's almost impossible to describe in words. But to try his best to do that is Lightroom CEO and MD of 59 Productions, Richard Slaney, who we're delighted to have with us this morning. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Lovely to be with you. Good morning, Richard. Great, great to have you on. Before we go talking about Hockney and the exhibition, I want to know why you're called 59 Productions. Well, 59 Productions was founded by my colleague Leo Warner about 20 years ago, and um, it was um, the flat number he was living in at the time, um, which is, is um, a little straightforward. I like, to say it's, I like to say it's the second before the show begins, which I think is a little bit more romantic. But um, Oh, that's clear. Yeah, I don't know, it's a prime number. It's all sorts yes. of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I live at number 59. <laughs> there we go. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is okay. amazing. Well, you're destined to go and work. Or after all that sucking up about how marvellous the show is, <laughs> you're, des- you're destined to go and work for 59 Productions. Uh, so look, let's start at the very beginning. This was your idea, Richard. Tell us how on earth this idea popped into your head. Yeah, well, um, about four, four and a half years ago, I, I'd seen that there are a couple of immersive type venues popping up. The first of which I saw was the Atelier de Lumière in Paris. And I went to see it and... I saw people having a really great time and really enjoying what they were seeing. In that case, it was a, a show about Klimt and people just were, you know, really enjoying the, enjoying the projections, enjoying the show. And I thought, oh, we could do this and we could do this in a way that London, Londoners would accept it. And we could do this with real story and with a different feeling to it, something more theatrical about it and less of a gallery experience. And that was where the journey began. And why did you choose Hockney? Well, we, we got together with Nick Starr and Nick Heitner from the London Theatre Company, who are the joint venture partners with us on this. And we sat down and sort of talked about how we could do this, what we could do. And David Hockney's name came up almost immediately as, as somebody who we thought would really get a buzz out of the form. You know, it's, it's a room of huge scale. It's vibrant. It's full of colour. The potential is there for that, at least. And Hockney's always been such an innovator and somebody who's you know, hugely popular and and hugely prolific as well. There's a sort of huge body of work there that people And of course he was doing his, his, his digital drawings already, as it were. 
His digital painting. Exactly. He, you know, iPad paintings, make, work with fax machines in the 80s, you know, and, and also these vast canvases and always wanting to be bigger. So we thought it would appeal to him and we managed to make contact with him and true to form, you know, it really did appeal to him. So uh, we really got into, into um, making something together. I mean, I think initially we thought it might be a sort of low-level collaboration and three years later from our first conversation you know he was with us every day here for the last four months in Lightroom as really? we built a building site around him yeah absolutely you know he's he was here last night in fact he's been here you know he's been here every day for for some time and basically moved in and started making the show exactly as he wanted it which is you know such an honor and such a such a privilege to be in his company while he's doing that but there's a lovely yeah, totally. story behind it, isn't there, Richard? Because didn't he, at the beginning, he, you wrote him this, this quite straightforward email and he answered immediately, didn't he? Yeah, he wrote back. My colleague Mark wrote the email, sent it off and we got an answer back straight away saying, oh, sounds great. Come and see me in Normandy. I'm um, busy painting the spring. And, you know, Mark went out almost immediately, spent a couple of days there with David and... and you know, this was all this was all pre-pandemic. We then did a projector test with him in London, so we got uh, a big space, some projectors, and just tried some stuff out. And that was uh, the last week of February 2020. And then, you know, we were very excited to move forward, and then the world shut down. Yes. But actually, receiving emails from David during the pandemic was one of the one of the most joyous things you could get. You know, he'd we were lucky enough to be included on this sort of circulation list of his friends and he just sent whatever he was drawing you know it was amazing and um, so you had that in the in the background of the pandemic for those first stressful few months now can you now undertake the incredibly difficult task of describing to our listeners what they're going to see because it is just absolutely marvelous you walk into this huge dark space but but tell us about the show itself because it is hard to describe so i'm going to try and leave it to you yeah it's a it's a tricky form format to describe the room is the room is as you say vast so it's 26 meters by 20 roughly um, footprint and the key thing is the height the projection is 11 meters high so once you're in that you really are surrounded on all sides by projection all four walls and the floor and uh, the show is about 50 minutes long and takes the form of six chapters, we call them, which are sort of thematic. So David on perspective or David on nature or David on swimming pools. And we intersperse those with sort of singular artworks of one to two minutes long. So you sort of have a palette cleanser before the next chapter. But you enter the show at any point. So it's not like a, um, a piece where you, you know, a theatre show where you have a beginning, middle and end to the story. You come in often halfway through a chapter, but you soon pick it up because you've got David's voice guiding you. You've got these artworks all the way around you. And it's only a couple of minutes before we change subject anyway. So it's like you're sort of walked inside a documentary or, I mean, a podcast is kind of similar. It's a podcast, but with the scale of an IMAX is, is where we're going with this, I think. Oh, that's a brilliant idea, Charlotte. It's uh, what, what we We've should got go to create with. our own... Uh... <laughs> Projected, animated... Digital What would we call incredibly irritating and always interrupting? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you're welcome anytime. We'll do a late, a late night edition. I think what was so fab is I actually arrived in the at the beginning of the Hockney Paints the Stage, which was the chapter on his 
opera set, which was such a great moment to arrive because you really, A, got a sense of the scale of the show because it was all swooping opening curtains and, and you know, all kinds of scenes from the operas that he's done. But you forget what a prodigious set designer he was. I mean, that was a great place for me to walk in. And then I got the perspective bit, which I think probably starts the show. So can you, can you want... Can you wander in and out? It's, it's not like show times, like turn up at 10 for the show. You can wander in halfway through. Is that right? Yeah, you wander in any time. So you book a 15-minute time slot and you enter any point within that 15 minutes. So you book for 10 ah. to 10, 14, and you come in any time. So it's, it's more like an exhibition in that sense in that there's a constant flow of people coming into the room. Um, but ah, then right. people tend to stay. They can also stay as long as they like. So... Most people stay for just over one loop of the content, but some people stay for a couple because yeah. you can watch it. There's no, there's no way to take the whole show in at once. You know, it is all the way around you. So, you know, if you really want to see the whole thing, you do have to at least watch it twice through to watch it from both ends of the room. Um, oh, and also we have a very high level, high level viewing gallery where you can sort of see a lot more of the floor, which is projected as well. And I quite like being up there and you can watch people in it. And it does yeah. also depend on who's here. We have lots of kids and families in. So, you know, this morning we've got lots of little ones running around in the projection, having a lovely time. But we've also got people here sort of, you know, sort of calmer space, just taking it all in. And I, I love that. I love the sort of simul simultaneous um, nature of different audiences all getting something out of it. The chapter I really thought was illuminating was the whole chapter on roads and paths and a sort of explanation of, of what Hockney loved about LA and, and how suddenly he moved there. He just, it was such a spontaneous decision. Tell us a bit about that chapter because there's masses of footage of him in his car, isn't there? Yeah, so that chapter's really, I think it's really touching. And throughout the show, the only voice you hear is David's. Um, but it's David as a 20-ish year old young man up to David a few weeks ago recorded in London. So it's everything in between. So you do get this um, this fascinating perspective because he, he's always talking in the present tense. He's always, and from working with him over the last couple of years, he's always about the now, the moment. Um, and you get the sense of that in Roads and Paths, that chapter, because he talks about going to LA. He was 24. You know, it's, it's a totally different world for him and one that he made his own. Um, and you see the progression of his work in that city as well. From He talks about moving from straight lines and his early work in LA being very, very rigid and then into wiggly lines as he moved up into the hills. Um, and then there is this lovely scene where he he drives uh, through the mountains uh, just outside LA in this thing he made called Wagner Drive, um, where he curated a mixtape of his favourite pieces of music to the roads and then drove friends in an open top um, car uh, around, around the hills of LA with the soundtrack of Wagner and Bernstein and other composers blaring. So we have a little clip from that. Yeah, I love that bit. I, re I really like that bit. And then there's also a, a wonderful chapter on pools because, of course, uh, probably one of his most famous paintings is, is Bigger Splash. So so tell us about that chapter. We see the bigger, a Bigger Splash, but not for very long. It's just a moment at the end of the chapter. But mostly we're using the space to sort of surround you with his pool work. Um, and he talks a lot about the light and how light reflects on water, mm. um, which is a, a really fascinating, fascinating chapter. But it's interesting you say that's your, your sort of one of your favourite moments because everyone comes away with such different things from this. You know, in, in jumping between swimming pools to opera sets to 
like sort of a little lecture on perspective and then something, you know, some contemporary work David made only, you know, only a year ago or so on. So you really kind of, you really kind of jump around. But the thing with him is he's so, uh, his viewpoints are so sort of amazingly consistent and present. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's really in it. And that's what I love about this this show. I think people get out of it. Well, I mean, that's what I think is so phenomenal about this show. It just hasn't been done with an artist before. I mean, it's it's like being in an amazing studio with access to all the artist's work with the artist. I mean, it's just, yeah, well, that's what's, so, that's what's so great about it. I mean, I'm hoping to visit the Hockney Swimming Pool in the south of France, by the way. I just want you all to know that. Oh. I've never done a swimming pool <laughs> drop, drop before. I've done name drops all the time, but never done a swimming pool drop. But I think that's absolutely the point. I mean, I think uh, without wishing to sound too kind of mercenary about this whole thing, I mean, it's it's a it's a whole new opportunity for artists, particularly obviously those with a global global recognition like David Hockney, to introduce people to their work. I'm a massive fan of digital, and I think people should, uh, you know, you know, I'm on the board of Tate. I think museums and so on should be embracing this technology as a new way of. Uh, showing artists but presumably yeah. there are some people who are quite quite sniffy about it i i don't think we're taking anything away from a gallery experience here in fact far from it i think we're mm. making an interesting piece of work in its own right that's yeah, something I david agree. believes i and, agree you know there's, and there's so many opportunities to go and see his work in other galleries and we encourage that you know we i think people understand that digital is its is its own format now and i've made work in that way for years and years and you know my in my previous life i I founded the digital program at the Philharmonia Orchestra and, you know, Orchestras Meets Digital in the early 2000s was a, a an interesting place to be. But I think I think audiences expect that now and understand that. And I think audiences also know when they're seeing something that's had love and care and quality throughout it. And I think that's what, yes. we're, what we're making here. But I think people, audiences understand when you've made something that's got true heart in it. And that's, I mean... It, this is David through and through this show and it's full of joy and wonder and excitement and you know that you know you, it, it transmits I think people see that and and then understand the piece but the other thing I think is is so phenomenal about it is that you actually really get to understand his creative processes the whole stuff with the there's a very good chapter on uh, using photographs to draw with and for the first time I actually got to understand the scale and the amount of work that went into those, the way he put his photographs together, because you're able to do it in that huge space. Yeah, and, and you know, I've watched this show literally hundreds of times, and I get something new from it every time about his work, because his work demands that, you know, there is, you know, you can't but look at those photographic drawings and just the mind boggles at how on earth he ever put them together, you know, yeah. these, these composites of hundreds mm. of Polaroids. I mean, they're, they're mind-blowing. And so, you know, if I've seen it hundreds of times and I can get something out of it, then I, I think that's the same for everybody. And David's watched the show. I mean, he watches the show daily still. He has this amazing little scale model we made him and with some mini projectors. And it's it's currently in his house in, in London. But it, before that, we had it in his house in Normandy. And that's how we made the show. We, you know, we, we'd send him some files. He'd watch something and he'd send them back. But he... You know, he literally watches the show at least daily, if not a couple of times a day on that model, um, let alone coming in here, um, which oh. he's been doing very regularly. Well, there's, so a, mer- you know, there's you know. a merchandising opportunity. 
<laughs> oh my god yeah have your own scale model yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> and one of our one of our technicians to service it yeah absolutely um <laughs> i'm sure people would pay for it the rich art collectors could yeah it. But maybe, I, um, maybe i mean and are you already thinking about other artists i mean i'm sorry to no, Sounds that like... was going to be my next question too. Actually, well, that's why. Good that's at this because end. we've been working together for <laughs> so many years. <laughs> yeah, we're working on a few ideas at the moment, um, and actually, interestingly, we're we're looking, at least initially, outside of visual arts um, because the space lends itself so well to. Well, we've got a couple of ideas around music, performing arts ideas, ballet, fashion, science. I think the key line between those is the engagement of the creative mind or the artist in making the show in the way we've had with David. We've had this sort of incredible, unprecedented access to his brain. And if mm. we can repeat that, then I don't think it matters so much whether it's a visual artist or a musician or um, or a scientist, you know, as to where we go next with this with this format. I think you described it as, as sort of having David Hockney with you describing his work. I think it's that. It's sort of seeing work through the eyes of somebody um, and in this case hearing David's voice but I think that that ability to be to be guided by the artist through their own work is is something we really want to hang on to and it's something that's that's unique in this format I think. Is the technology kind of pretty routine in the sense again I don't want to disparage it but I mean once you've kind of worked out how to do it does it then become the focus becomes the content and how to make that unique and special because you don't need to re keep reinventing the technology the, the technology is now a platform on which you can do anything yeah i mean it's a bit of both in that the technology we want it to be stable and you know work really seamlessly which it does touch wood and but you know we're really pushing the boundaries a bit here in the terms of the resolutions of the projection and the color reproduction here so the um the longer walls are sort of equivalent to an 8k screen and the shorter walls mm. are just a, over a 4K screen. So all of those mm. added together, there's 27,000 pixels wide canvas, which is 150 million pixels in the room, which is pretty high resolution. It's a lot higher resolution than a, than a cinema or, um, or most people are used to seeing. The sound is really unique. It's the first instance of a product, a new product in the UK called Holoplot, which is a totally different way of doing sound in that it's in that relatively small room, there are 1,400 loudspeakers, um, albeit quite small ones, and they allow us to sort of pinpoint sound to different positions within the room. Um, and we're not really using that to huge, to its potential really in, in this show um, because of a subject matter. But when we get into shows about music or music shows with sort of significant sound design, that will be a sort of game changer, I think. Can you tell us a bit more now about the building? Who found it? What? Because was it built as a theatre? Because you you started working with David before you'd found Lightroom. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, we were, we were working on the show. We'd looked at a couple of spaces in London mm. and this was, I say we, this was myself and, and Nick Starr from the London Theatre Company. Yeah. And the London Theatre Company, formed by Nick Starr and Nick Heitner, um, have the Bridge Theatre at Tower Bridge was their first theatre. And this space in King's Cross will become their second theatre in London in time. Um, and it wasn't until the pandemic, and I said to Nick, what are you doing with King's Cross? Because they were sort of under construction. And he said, oh, I don't know. You know, this is, you know, the early days of the pandemic. 
And I said, well, would it work for Lightroom for a period, do you think? And then it could become a theatre. And I think when I said that, I was thinking, could we do it for a few months? And we looked at it and realised it wouldn't work for a few months, but it would work for, well, we've got four years here as Lightroom, and then it will become the theatre. So what we've done is we've fitted out the foyer's front of house very similarly to the bridge theatre. So you, anyone who's been to the bridge will yeah. recognise it. Yes. Um, but then the box inside, we've basically left as bare concrete, given it a lick of paint and put some projectors in it. And then we've created a bit of an audience journey, sort of to really to attune your eyes to seeing projections. So you go down a long lit corridor that's sort of getting darker and darker to allow your eyes to get ready to see a room full of projection, which seems to work quite well. Yeah, I love that. It felt like a real adventure. Because you've done lots of this sort of stuff before. Didn't you do the, the Beach Street Tunnel? Yes, absolutely. We did, uh, we did a piece of uh, Beach Street three or four years ago, um, turning it into a, into a piece of classical music for the Barbican. That sort of found space work we've done quite a lot of and also projecting onto the outsides of buildings. But to have a space like this of our of our own to play with in London is a huge opportunity. Hockney's on till when? At the moment, we're we're booking until the middle of June. But um, I'm I'm hopeful that the audience will will uh, demand that we keep on a little bit longer than that. It really is fantastic, and congratulations! You know, I can't recommend it more highly as a show. Ed, you you're going to love it. You're going to really really like it because it's a completely establishes David Hockney not just as a genius but as a real national treasure the last chapter when he's talking about nature I mean he's just so lovable and wonderful and positive and happy and fabulous <laughs> you know and you don't often get to see that side of him how oh, absolutely brilliant I can't wait to go and see it with my entire family yeah bring everyone along that's definitely the definitely the feeling yeah <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much, Richard. Bigger and Closer is just one of many exhibitions operating now. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about a new show at the Royal Academy profiling black artists from the American South. Meanwhile, there's the Peter Doig show at the Courtauld, Donatello at the V&A, of course. And next week, openings including a fascinating exhibition about the Alderney Holocaust at Cromwell Place by Piers Secunda. Piers makes art about the destruction of culture, looking, for example, at the harm the Taliban and ISIS have done. But he's now been researching Alderney in the Channel Islands, which housed the only concentration camp on British soil. And this has resulted in this extraordinary exhibition about the li lives of the people who lived through that. Up at Chatsworth, meanwhile, there's Mirror Mirror opening on the 18th, an exhibition in the house and garden that places contemporary works by 16 artists and designers in direct relationship to the historic design at Chatsworth. That promises to be a treat. And still on at Saatchi is Beyond the Streets, the most comprehensive graffiti and street art exhibition to have been staged in the UK. If you don't think it's your bag, do just go, <laughs> because I've been and it is absolutely absorbing. The exhibition takes over the whole gallery and it actually made me feel really nostalgic for the times when places like King's Road were really full of revolutionary zeal and in the exhibition, there's wonderful stuff about Malcolm McLaren's shop with Vivian Westwood, about the punk movement, about graffiti on the subway in New York, about the role of hip-hop, and much, much more. It really is uplifting and fun. And actually, it did make me feel that our cities have definitely got a lot more drab and conservative in the last decade. So um, I loved it. So do try and go and see that. It's on until the 9th of May. Uh, so that's all we've got time for this week. But next week, we're going to be looking forward to the London Original Print Fair at Summerset House. It's been going since 1985. It's always 
a great opportunity to buy an original print. It used to be at the Royal Academy, but after the cancellation because of COVID, it went online hugely successfully and then reopened at Somerset House. We're going to be talking to its director, Helen Roslin, next week, and we hear about what the year has in store, so don't fail to tune in. As usual, you can find us at countryandtownhouse.com, where you'll also find the latest edition of the magazine, as well as be able to listen to our sister podcast, House Guest with Carol Annette, talking to some of the most fascinating and influential names in interior design. We love your feedback, and we'd also like to hear if there's anything you'd like to hear us profiling, so please send me a comment or email us on charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. Thank you very much indeed for listening and see you next week. Goodbye.